When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. When I first started the show a long while ago, I used to do lots and lots of public appearances. And over the years, I've, I've scaled them back. But there, there are a couple particularly veterans groups or veterans activities that are very, very near and dear to my heart. And when they roll around and they're kind enough to invite me to you know, come out and emcee an event or something, I, I always say yes. And one of those is coming up tomorrow. Um, once again, in the city of Waukesha, it's Operation Honor. They do this in connection with Veterans Day every year. And there's a, a, a care package drive where they're going to be collecting items that they're going to pack and send to deployed servicemen and women. And that's going to be going from 2 o'clock to 4.30 p.m. at the uh, Schutze, I think it's Schutze's, how do you pronounce it, Recreation Center, 1120 Baxter Street in Waukesha. At 4.30, and this is kind of where I come in, it is the 10th annual Operation Honor, a salute to veterans, 4.30 to 6 o'clock. Um, what happens is we invite everybody to come out. It's inside, so you don't have to worry about the rain or the wind. I am the master of ceremonies. Um, Dan Buttery, who is the president and CEO of the War Memorial Center, he's he's going to be the keynote speaker. The 484th Army Band of Milwaukee is going to be performing at the event um, after the, the speeches, and it it it, it doesn't it, this, the speeches. Trust me, that part of the program takes about a half hour. Um, Maybe the um, mayor of Waukesha will be there as well. And then they have a free dinner for the first 400 in attendance that follows the band performance. So it's a wonderful event. They have honored me by inviting me to be the MC for a number of years. So um, that that's coming up again tomorrow. So if you happen to be out and about um, and you know veterans or you are a veteran, stop by because it, it is it is a salute to veterans. That's what this is all about. The 10th Annual Operation Honor at the Schutz Recreation Center, 1120 Baxter Street, downtown Waukesha. Again, they've got a, a care package drive that goes from 2, to, that goes from two to 4.30, but the uh, program itself starts uh, pretty sharply at 4.30, and it, it's just a wonderful event. I hope to see everybody out there. All right. I, look, I, I understand that you have a bias in the media. I, I get it. I mean, I, I've seen it over the years. But there, there's a bias in the media, and then there's just out-and-out out fake news. And I understand there's, there's people who write for newspapers or do stuff, commentary on TV, who hate when they hear the term fake news. And my response is always, okay, if you don't like the term fake news, then don't put out fake news. It's really that simple. Now, the Gannett Papers... Um, in Wisconsin, which own the Journal Sentinel, they have been all in for trying to elect Mandela Barnes and Tony Evers. There have been column after column after column devoted to how awful Ron Johnson is and how awful um, Tim Michaels is. The coverage of the campaign has been, in my opinion, absolutely appalling. 
It's like, okay, every day we're going to try to find what anti-Michael story can we run today? And then the next day, it's what anti-Johnson story can we run? And then what happens is when they don't have new stuff, then they figure out ways to recycle the old stuff to package it. And I know they are very, very frustrated because if you look at the polls, it looks like the sleazy attacks on Ron Johnson aren't working. Now, who knows what's going to happen on Tuesday? And the the Michaels-Evers race, by all accounts, is an absolute dead heat. The problem that Evers has is that if you look at the poll numbers, there is a consistency. Some polls might show him up by one. Some might show him down by one. Some polls might show it tied. But here's the problem that Evers has. He can't get over 47 or 48 percent in any polls. And that's a problem for an incumbent, that you're not polling at least around 50 percent. And no polls show Evers at above the 50 percent. Why is it a problem if you're only polling 47 or 48 percent? Well, it's a problem because historically, when people go to the polls and they are, in fact, undecided, they end up voting for the challenger. Typically, what will happen on Election Day They typically, voters who might otherwise be undecided, they typically break for the challenger because they've had four years to decide whether they they like the incumbent. And if they haven't made that decision, they're likely to say, okay, we're going to have a change. And so trust me, the people at the local newspaper know that Evers is in trouble. That's not saying he's not necessarily going to win, but you have like all these different smear jobs that are going on, which brings me to a story that... I just I meant to talk about this yesterday, and I'm glad I didn't. Here is the story as it originally appeared yesterday. Here is the headline. Michael's Corp. does not have black employees in management positions according to public documents. Michael's Corporation, Wisconsin's largest construction company, co-owned by Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels, this is by a woman named Corrine Hess, does not have any black people and only two Hispanic people working in leadership positions, according to public documents filed by the company. Michaels Corp., which employs 8,000 people and has received more than $1.1 billion from Wisconsin for construction projects since 2014, also falls slightly below the industry average for hiring brown and black people. Nationally, the construction industry is a white-dominated field, 88% white, 32.6%. Hispanic, 6.3% black, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. A statement issued by the Michaels Corporation said the company is working hard to increase our diversity and inclusion throughout our company, but also in our ranks of management. Okay, so the, the story is, this is the headline, no black people, no Hispanic people working in leadership positions according to public documents filed by the company. Now, why do you run this story three or four days before the election? Because... First of all, it is fed to you by some of the anti-Michaels folks. So you regurgitate this. And, of course, this all ties in with the other argument that was being made that, hey, you've got an 8,000-person workforce over 20-some years. They have had a handful of discrimination cases filed, a handful. And this is supposed to indicate that this is a bad place to work. Um, anybody that works at the Michaels Corporation, or almost everybody, will tell you it, the contrary. It's a really good place. But anyhow, the, the headline is— Michaels Corp. does not have black employees in management positions, according to public documents. Michaels Corp., Wisconsin's largest construction company, again, co-owned by Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels, doesn't have any black people and only two Hispanic people working in leadership positions, according to public documents filed by the company. 
All right, so obviously the impression that they are trying to create in this last-minute hit job, oh, this is this terrible place, and they, they're awful towards women, and they discriminate against minorities. Problem is, the story is false. Here is, here is the correction that they run today. An earlier version of this story incorrectly said that public documents showed Michaels Corp. does not have black employees in management positions. Company officials said after the initial publication of the story that the documents pertained only to one subsidiary of Michaels Corporation. (laughs) So in, in other words, it's not the whole company. It's one subsidiary that happens to be located in Illinois. The company has not provided documentation or provided information on how many members of management are black, probably because it's none of the newspaper's business. But it says that across the corporation's full slate of subsidiaries, all the different corporate entities, 17.3 percent are either women or minorities. A subsidiary of Michaels Corp. that sought a public contract in Urbana, Illinois, didn't have any black people working in leadership positions leading to concerns about meeting equal employment opportunity certification there, according to public documents. But it's a subsidiary company that was working in Illinois. It's not the whole company. And the Journal Sentinel didn't get the difference and didn't check. And I think I think what happened here is you had one of these anti-Michaels groups that spoon-fed this to them, and then they just regurgitated it without checking to determine or verifying that there is a difference between a subsidiary of a company that applied for some work in Illinois and the overall company with all its various subsidiaries across the country. Now, you can argue, gee, okay, they've got 17.3% women and minorities. You can argue that that's, that's too low a number. All right, you can make that argument, but that's far different than saying the entire company has nobody in management positions, and that's the story that was run. Now, in addition to getting this wrong, here's the more aggravating thing. They've got it wrong. They put out the fake news, but then the headline, the modified headline of the story— Now, this is the same newspaper that ran the story saying they don't have any black employees in management positions. Instead of simply saying in big, bold letters, we got this wrong, what they say is lack of diversity at a Michaels Corporation's subsidiary raised equal employment opportunity concerns for an Illinois contract. So they're they're, they're recycling it, and I guess it's, it's an accurate headline. But given the headline they ran yesterday in connection with the story, this is like we've gotten it wrong. We're really wrong here. Let's be strong and let's figure out a way we can repackage this story to still make Tim Michaels and the Michaels Corporation look bad, even though we're the ones with egg on our face. And this, you know, they've been doing the same thing to Ron Johnson as well. I think one of the aggravating things about this is that the Michaels Corporation is a really, really good company. It employs 8,000 people. These are good-paying jobs. They do really, really good work. And until Tim Michaels made the decision to run for governor, nobody would have thought about attacking this company. But now, because it looks like he's on the verge of getting elected governor, we feel compelled to trash what is otherwise a really good Wisconsin company. It is shameful. Now, if you want to disagree with Tim Michaels about his position on abortion or putting more people in jail or trying to, you know, reform the criminal justice system or trying to figure out a way to lower taxes, well, okay, fine. That's it. But these attacks on the people who work for this company and the company itself 
is just an absolute new low, especially given the fact that the contrast, Tony Evers has never met a payroll. He's never created a job. He is a creature of the public sector and has no idea what it is like to meet a payroll, no idea what it's like to build a company, no idea what it's like to hire and occasionally fire people and deal with the problems that that comes with. But yet this is now supposed to be a liability I mean, my goodness, nobody would have ever thought of this. And I think, you know, one of the things is, where are you going to get people to run for office? If if this is the thing, your business is a great business, you've done really good stuff, but here we're going to try to find whatever we can to attack you because we want to advance our political agenda. And again, it, it's just unfortunate that you've got, you know, a mainstream news media, which is willing to just completely and totally get into bed with the people who are trying to advance political campaigns. So you get this uncritical sort of coverage that's out there. And three or four days before the election, the classic example of what is fake news. Will it work? Don't know. We'll know Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. One of our texters says, "Jeff, I worked at the Michaels Corporation a few years ago. I swear I saw a black manager. Should I get my eyes checked?" Well, I, again, I I don't know, but you don't. The local newspaper runs this fake news headline. What happened was there was some anti-Michaels group that fed it to them, and they didn't go out and verify that it was talking about some subsidiary corporation in in Illinois. Now, these companies have all these different subsidiaries. So you've got a subsidiary corporation in the state of Illinois that bid on a particular project, and the local newspaper writes that up. It's the entire company, and and they they just make this up. And again, I don't know. I think it was just I think it was just sloppy, but it clearly fits in with the narrative that they were trying to advance. You get the same thing today with Ron Johnson. They are very, very upset that Ron Johnson appears to be ready to win re-election. You've had one editorial after another. They've recycled editorials, and they're running the same stories over and over again with a different spin in an effort to try to encourage people not to vote for Ron Johnson. The latest one here is Ron Johnson fought for a tax cut as his family was amassing luxury real estate around the country. Okay, this, this is what we've been talking about for three or four years, the idea that back in 2017, when there was the tax cut bill that was going through, the way they had the tax cut bill structured is that the big corporations, they were going to get a tax break. Johnson said no. He said, look, here, here's the deal that, you know, about 90 percent of the companies that are out there are smaller corporations. They're these pass-through corporations. It's what they're called. And if we're going to give tax breaks to the big corporations— well, what we're going to do is we should give tax breaks to the, the other corporations as well. And he fought for that, and he ended up, and he makes no apologies for this. And so now, you know, business owners can deduct up 20% of their profits, but it doesn't just apply to AT&T. It just doesn't apply to, you know, Amazon. It applies to the smaller businesses as well. All right, that, that's, that's this. So the argument is, well— you know, there were some of Ron Johnson's supporters and donors who benefited from this. Well, yes, they did. But everybody who ran one of these pass-through corporations benefited from it. So the question is, was this, 
why not? Is this something that benefited certain people? Yeah, it benefited 90% of the past of the companies that are in this country. And you can argue whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. But the way this is being spun by the media and their allies on the left is, oh, this is this ter- This was this just give away to you know Ron Johnson and to some of his supporters. Well, yes, they got benefits, but everybody that 90% of the popula- of the corporations that are passed through got the benefits. So the sleaze ball attack today is well. You know, some of Johnson's family has taken advantage of this. Yeah, they, they they have. And of course, then they have to add, well, this would there's nothing illegal in taking advantage of the deduction. Well, if there's nothing illegal, explain to me what the story is. And then one of the just little stories that just absolutely drives me me crazy because it's such fake news, and that's what it is. There, some of the, they, they recycle this argument about, well, Ron Johnson build the taxpayers from flights from his second home in Florida to Washington, D.C. for business. The way the rules work is your, your home base, in this case his home base is either Milwaukee or Oshkosh or wherever it is. You fly from your home base, Milwaukee, Oshkosh, whatever, to Washington, D.C., and you're, you're, the, the government pays for it, right? That, that's how it works. It's no different from Ron Johnson, from any senator, any congressman. You fly from your home base to Washington, the, the government pays for it because that's how you're going to work. The rules say that if you have like a vacation home, so you're in Florida, rather than you flying from Florida to Oshkosh and then flying from Oshkosh to Washington, what happens is that you can fly directly from your second home in Florida to Washington. And as long as you don't bill the government more than it would cost you to fly from Oshkosh to Washington, it, it, it's no harm, no foul. It, it just it, it makes sense. You're going to work. Okay, it's applied to Democrats. It's applied to Republicans. But this is one of these issues that's out there. Well, and they recycle this. The paper has the audacity to recycle this BS story Again, a couple days before the election, trying to convince people that Ron Johnson is doing something crooked. It's just disgraceful what is going on. Now, I don't think it's going to work, but it does really does make you wonder why some people would want to get involved if you know you're going to be slimed in this fashion. And some of the people that are responsible for, I don't know, maybe cutting through the slime are the ones that are participating in it with both feet. I mean, it really is embarrassing. I'm, I'm looking at the story today, and, and they, they, the Journal Sentinel is so desperate to try to beat Ron Johnson that they recycle this garbage. Fort Myers flights in a Washington, D.C. townhouse. And again, they repeat the idea that, oh, well, Johnson billed I'm like, He's come under attack from Democrats for billing taxpayers to cover the cost of flights between a Florida family vacation home and Washington, D.C., including nine such trips Last year. Now, the last line of this is that a Senate ethics panel cleared Johnson of any wrongdoing from the tax funded flights. But yet the Journal Sentinel feels compelled to recycle this in their, okay, what other hit pieces can we have against Ron Johnson? And I can't explain it any more clearly. It's like, all right, you've got a second place in Florida. You've got to go back to Washington, D.C. for work. You've got two choices. You can fly from Florida to Oshkosh, Wisconsin at your own expense, and then you can bill the taxpayers for the trip between Oshkosh and Washington. Perfectly legitimate. It's what everybody does. Or the rules say if it's less money or the same money, instead of having to fly to Oshkosh and then to Washington, just fly directly from Fort Myers to Washington and bill the taxpayers as long as you don't bill them more than it would have cost if you were coming to Oshkosh. That just flat out makes sense, and yet 
The Journal Sentinel recycles this. It is just flat embarrassing what is going on three or four days before the elections. My head is going to explode. I I understand that. All right. This is if you want to understand how slimy this campaign has gotten, I'm going to give you an example of this. Now, again, as I talked about earlier, the, the, the problem, and Democrats see this, is that the Tony Evers has trouble getting beyond that 47 or 48 percent. That, that's, and that's a bad thing for, for incumbents. So the effort is to try to stop people from voting from Tim Michaels. All right. That, that's, that's the bottom line. So I am on, and I'm, I swear to God, I am not making this up. I am on the Journal Sentinel website right now, the js.com. And now, I, I don't know that this is the pop-up ad that you get when you log in, but this is the pop-up ad that I get when I log in. And matter of fact, I'm not logged into my account. I'm just logged in through our, um, through our corporate account. Okay, so there is an ad running now on the main page of the Journal Sentinel. Let me just kind of back up. Think about all the ads that you have seen, the anti-Michaels ads that you have seen over the course of the last few months. Okay, so what, what are the ads? The ads are he's a radical conservative, too radical for Wisconsin, doesn't represent our values. The ads are Tim Michaels is just so anti-abortion. He's going to have doctors locked up. He's going to have women put in prison. All, you know, the, these are, are the ads, right? They're, they're going after him because of his pro-life stance on abortion. They're going after him um, because of, again, those, those are the things. Oh, he's this, this out-of-touch, you know, rich guy. He's too conservative. I swear, if you at least when I go to the Journal Sentinel website, there is a pop-up ad which runs, well, I think it runs about 15 seconds. It is being produced by this outfit called the Liberty Group, which is one of these dark money groups, it says, based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Let me, let me share what the pop-up ad says. It concludes by saying, Tell Tim Michaels that you don't support his far-left East Coast values. Tell him that you don't support his far-left East Coast values. It goes on to talk about how Tim Michaels is, um, he's, um, the NRA, it says, well, it says something about Tim Michaels touts a false endorsement by the NRA. I think that's something that came from the, um, it's something that came from the campaign that was out there uh, in primary campaign. So why is Tim Michaels siding with pro-abortion extremists? NRA slams Tim Michaels over false endorsement. I'm reading just some of the things that they're putting up there. $9 million Manhattan penthouse, gun-grabbing New York, $17 million mansion, pro-abortion Connecticut. Tell Tim Michaels that you don't agree with his far-left East Coast values. I swear to God, if you go—now, I don't know if it's going to pop up on yours, but this is this outfit called the Liberty Group, which is running these ads saying that Tim Michaels is essentially to the left of Tony Evers. He's got this place— He's got this house in Connecticut, and Connecticut's the home of these East Coast liberals. So that means Tim Michaels is an East Coast liberal. You cannot make this stuff up.
And yet that is appearing here. Now, of course, if you look at TV, what you see is you see, all right, you know, Tim Michaels, he's just he's he's pro-life and he's going to lock all these people up, like I say. So what's going on here? Well, I think what happens is you have this slime ball group and we don't know who's funding him. We don't know if it's George Soros. We don't know where the money's coming from. But what they're trying to do is hope that they can find some conservatives who might be leaning to vote for Michaels, who will see one of these garbage ads and then be kind of turned off. Well, I didn't I I didn't realize that Tim Michaels was pro-abortion. I didn't realize that he sided with all these East Coast liberals. But but that's what they're doing in an effort to try to suppress the Michaels vote. Now, I don't know how many of these pop-ups that you see that are out there. But like I say, when I log on to the Journal Sentinel's website, it's Tim Michaels, pro-abortion. Tim Michaels lives in, you know, has a place in New York uh, where these guys are gun grabbers. You know, this, this, this is what they are trying to do. It is staggering that this stuff goes on and on and on. Yeah, if you're wondering what's going on, here, here's the text. Jeff, I saw that ad that you're referring to online yesterday and couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's it's one thing it's one thing to lie about a candidate or misstate positions or whatever, but this is one of the most bold-faced lies that is out there. You have this special this group, we don't know who's funding it, whether it's George Soros or whatever, who are running ads that are designed to tell people that Ron, that Ron Johnson, that Tim Michaels is actually the liberal. You know, he's got the second place in New York, and we know New York, they're gun grabbers in New York and Connecticut. We know that they're pro-abortion in Connecticut. So this means that he's pro-abortion, or this means he's a gun grabber. I mean, it's Looney Tunes, but it's this effort to try to convince people to maybe, like, stay home or whatever, because they know that Evers has this problem. Anyhow, Jeff, I saw the ad online yesterday and couldn't believe it. I also got two flyers from the same group in yesterday's mail telling me to vote for Joe Joan Beglinger. Okay, so who is Joan Beglinger? We've talked about this before. It she was a candidate, a conservative who was running as an independent candidate for governor. And the way it works in Wisconsin is if you're going to run as an independent, you all you need to do is get a couple I think it's 2000, could be wrong, but you got to get 2000 signatures and you're on the ballot. So she was running for governor, but she is a conservative. And these polls that are out there showed her getting a couple percentage of the vote. In early September, she dropped out. She dropped out of the race, and she supported Tim Michaels. I mean, I'm looking at the statement. She says, Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes are tools of a Democratic Party that is pushing a radical agenda and eroding our freedoms faster than any of us would have believed possible. They must be defeated in the November election. Tim Michaels and I are not politicians, and we both have extensive backgrounds in executive leadership in the private sector. Tim entered the race late, secured President Trump's endorsement, and won the Republican primary. This dramatically changed the election landscape. With two months to go, I am in my first poll and the media who've ignored me for well over years are suddenly interested. They will try to use me to reelect Tony Evers, and I am not going to allow that to happen. This leads me to the only decision that makes sense, given the choices now facing the voters and the enormous threats we face. I am going to do what I can to help Tim Michaels and Ron Johnson defeat Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes. Okay, so it's very, very clear, but her name is still going to appear on the ballot. So what's going on is you have this slimy group 
that is out there apparently sending mailings to some targeted people and putting some of these pop-up ads on trying to convince conservatives to not vote for Tim Michaels, but rather to vote for this woman who is no longer in the race and who has endorsed Tim Michaels. And so why why are they hoping to do that? Well, again, Tony Evers is stuck at like around 47% of the vote. So they're hoping that by lying about Tim Michaels, oh, you know, he's, 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 he's a gun grabber. He's, you know, pro-abortion. He's got this place in Connecticut. By lying about those positions, they're hoping they can siphon enough votes, people who would otherwise vote for Tim Michaels, but are now going to vote for a candidate who's already dropped out of the race, that if they can get enough of that there, a 1%, 2% of the vote, that will be enough to put Evers over the top. That's what's going on here. And it's just, I mean, you know, I, I understand politics isn't beanbag, and I understand that you have all this stuff going on. But at some point in time, if you wonder about election integrity and you wonder about dirty tricks and smear campaigns and things like this, th- this is it. So whenever you get one of those mailings, if you're a conservative and it says vote for Joan Beglinger, understand she's not running. She's dropped out of the race two months ago. She has endorsed Tim Michaels, and this is nothing but a sleazy effort to try to mislead people into voting for her, even though she's not a candidate anymore, in an effort to try to put Evers over the top. A vote for Joan Beglinger is a vote for Tony Evers. Make no mistake about it, and these liberal groups know that. Will people fall for it? Well, I guess we'll know on Tuesday. I wouldn't advise trying this at home if you were a conservative. Now, I, I, I have to admit that I, I, I do not watch The View in the morning. Every once in a while, my wife, to kind of torture me, will, will have, it, have it on for the first 10 minutes when they kind of do their political roundtable. But it, it's, I'm, I'm just sorry, it's, it's entertainment, and that's fine. If people like it, that's okay, you can watch it, but not for me. So one of the people on The View is this... Like liberal like lawyer, I think she's a lawyer, Sonny Hostin. And here, here's what she says a day or two ago. And if you, are, if you are a suburban white woman who is considering voting for Republicans, this is what Sonny Hostin says to you. She says, okay, what's surprising to me is the abortion issue. I read a poll just yesterday that white Republican suburban women, that's her quotation, I read a poll just yesterday that white suburban Republican women, right, white sub- Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? So the, the analogy is if you are a Republican white suburban woman, and you decide that, gee, I'm going to vote for Republicans because maybe maybe abortion isn't the biggest issue. Maybe I'm concerned with gasoline prices or crime or the economy or, you know, the border or whatever. It's you're, you're like a roach supporting raid. <laughs> it's just amazing like like this. And then she said, well, don't they realize they're voting against their own self-interest? Well, I think. You know, I'm just trying to imagine. Can you imagine if there was a conservative that said something similar to that? That, you know, if you're considering voting for a Republican, you're, you're just like like a roach supporting, you know, raid. Now, a lot of people are calling for her to be fired. Well, that's not going to happen and things like that. But I do think 
it's interesting, and this is the arrogance that you have from a number of people that you, you're just you're too stupid. If you are thinking about voting for, in this case, Wisconsin, Tim Michaels or, or Ron Johnson, and you're a Republican woman in the, in the suburbs, you're just you're just too stupid to, to know better. Don't you understand that, you know, there we've got this abortion issue and things like that, and that should be your driving, you know, issue here. And if you care about other stuff, well, you know, you're just, you're, you're it's like roaches going to raid. This, but this is the way that you have especially a lot of these East Coast or West Coast elites that, that view People in flyover country that you're just you're too dumb to know what is in your best interest. You're too dumb to be able to prioritize the issues that are important to you. You know, you want to talk about the arrogance of the elite. This is exactly what that represents that. Well, they they just I can't believe that that, white suburban Republican women would consider voting for Republicans. Huh. You can't believe that. Huh. Well, I think you might be in for a rude awakening come Tuesday night. All right, we're going to move on when we come to into the next hour. I want to talk about the charges that have been issued against this deputy elections commissioner and what you think should happen to her. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I know over the last couple of years, I've irritated some of you because I'm I am not an election denier. I, I think Joe Biden won in Wisconsin. I think Joe Biden was was appropriately elected. I think he got more legitimate votes than Donald Trump. And I think it was unfortunate that Donald Trump just couldn't you know, go graciously into the good night. Having said all that, it doesn't mean that there aren't problems with the way we run elections. And I would think election integrity should be something that both Republicans and Democrats are concerned about. We want the elections to be legitimate. We want your vote to count. But we the problem is if you have fraudulent votes, if you have fake votes, that that diminishes all the rest of ours legitimate votes, which brings me to now a follow up to the story that was breaking as we were coming on the air yesterday. And it's just it's just bizarre on so many levels. This woman, Kimberly Zapata, who was the deputy Milwaukee elections clerk, worked in the elections office for seven years, worked for the city for 10 years, making a pretty decent salary. She now came forward and confessed, apparently, that she was the one who went on a state website and made up people, fake people, and requested military ballots to be sent to um, State Representative Janelle Branchen, who is the Assembly's election. She's in charge of, she runs the Committee on, on Election Reform, and she's been very, very outspoken about concerns with election integrity. So the State Representative, about a week or so ago, gets these ballots, military ballots, for like three people named Holly that are sent to her home. Now, and then she goes public with this saying, I, I didn't order these, but this this shows how, I guess, easy it is, because if I was somebody who wanted to commit election fraud, I could just fill these out and I could submit them and maybe I'd get caught, but maybe I, I wouldn't. So now it turns out that it's this deputy Milwaukee elections clerk who who did this, who falsely requested the, the ballots. And now she's been criminally charged, and we'll, we'll go through, we'll figure out the system, and they'll figure out what what they do. I don't know what her motivation was. Uh, some of the reports are she was trying to demonstrate how easy it is to to get fraudulent ballots. 
Okay, well, that, that could be it. But my question would be, why would she send those or cause these to be sent to this Republican state representative without telling her advance? Um, I, I wonder if there was some gaslighting going on, if she was perhaps hoping that the Republican state representative would fill out these ballots and submit them. And then she could say, hey, this woman committed. Here's this woman who's concerned about election integrity. And look, she committed fraud herself. But if that was the case, it, it didn't work out. But it does expose this huge problem. Now, stick with me here. So how did this work? Well, what happens is normally, you know, you have to, if you register to vote, you have to show up at City Hall. You have to provide proof that you live in the particular jurisdiction, the district or whatever, and you have to show a photo ID proving that you are are you. Now, there's ways you can get around the photo ID thing. You can have somebody vouch for you and stuff like that. But you have to get yourself onto the voting rolls, and you have to provide certain information. It's not a perfect system, but I think it does a pretty good job of, of weeding out, like, fake voters. It's different when it comes to military ballots. Under state law, a military voter, so if you're in the military— just to back up for a second, we, we want to make it easy for people in the military to vote. If your kid, you know, um, is in the military and is in Germany or whatever, you know, but but lives in Milwaukee, you know, you, you don't want to make the, the military person have to jump through too many hoops. You know, they, they want to vote. They've just turned, you know, voting age or they haven't registered before. Well, they, they, we want to make it easy for them to vote. And you can't expect them to come back from Germany and register in person. So under state law. If you are or claim to be a, if you are a member of active duty military, you are not required to register to vote. You, you don't have to go through these hoops that all the rest of us have to do. You also don't have to provide a photo ID or any other identification. All you have to do is go on to this public website, indicate that you're military, and then you can request a ballot. And there's, again, no no real checks and balances. So if, if you go onto this and say, hey, I'm Holly Good Lightly, and I live in Menominee Falls, and I'm active duty military, and I want a ballot sent to this address, they'll send a ballot to this address. They don't verify that there really is a Holly Go Lightly. They, they don't do that because they want to make it easy for people to vote. That is a noble sort of cause. But this this is a loophole that if you have people who want to exploit it, that you could drive a semi-truck through. So here's one of the interesting statistics. All right, in 2016, and this is information from the office of State Representative Janelle Brangen, in 2016, in the state of Wisconsin, you might say, Jeff, okay, how, how widespread a potential problem is this? 2016, Wisconsin had 766 military votes. 766, that was in 2016, that voted in military. In 2020, it was well over 5,000. So in that four-year period, the number of people using you know, the, these procedures, it increased from 766 to well over 5,000. Now, I am not suggesting— that those 5,000 votes were, were all fraudulent or that even any of them were fraudulent. But 
Part of it is, this is, we're now seeing more and more, it might just be, hey, you know, between 2016 and, and 2020, more people who were overseas or whatever active duty military decided to, like, use this procedure to cast votes, which is entirely possible. I, I don't know. But when you see this kind of dramatic increase going from 766 to 5,000 and who knows how many it's going to be, you know, in 2022 or in 2024. I think it is fair to say, well, you wonder if some or, and certainly not all, but you wonder, was there a percentage of that 5,000 that was these fraudulent, these fake votes, that it's very, very difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very, very difficult to figure out. So again, if you had, you know, somebody who, wanted to commit this sort of fraud, you go on the website, you make up a person, you have the ballots sent to wherever you're going to have them sent, you fill them out, you submit them, and there's, is it impossible to determine that they're fake ballots? No, but unless you actually cross-reference this with actual real military members, um, you know, it's... It's a loophole. It's a huge loophole. Now, I'm not suggesting, again, I'm not implying that all or, you know, even any of those 5,000 votes were fraudulent. My guess is it's not. But we now know that it is easy to exploit the system in this fashion. So regardless of what happens to this woman who still bizarrely did what, what she did, she's lost her job, she's going to be prosecuted, regardless of what happens to her. Regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal, isn't this a problem that needs to be attended to? Because, yes, in this case, there were no illegal ballots cast. But you got—it demonstrates how easy it is to get ballots into the hands of people if they want to then take that next step and commit the crime of, of, of falsely voting. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Look, it just seems to me that if nothing else comes from this, whether it's Tim Michaels that gets elected governor on Tuesday or Tony Evers that gets reelected, this is something that everybody should be looking at to say, we, we've got to toughen this up because the potential for fraud is so very, very great. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. We have texters that just don't get it. Jeff, on your voter fraud topic, the system worked. You're asking to change and implement laws or a problem that doesn't exist. That's not what we do in the United States. What do you mean the system worked? The only reason the system worked was the ballots were sent to state state representative who then went public with the say look this is how easy you could get them if those ballots went to somebody who had a nefarious intent they could have cast the votes and nobody would have known that so we don't know in this particular case yes the state representative publicized this that's the only reason the quote unquote system worked what we don't know is how many of these military ballots we don't know if this has occurred before we don't know if it's occurring in this election what we know is it is like i say a, a loophole large enough that you can drive a mac truck through so this you can't say it's a problem that doesn't exist. I don't know. I, and again, you'd have to, I guess, go back and audit 
all the 5,000 military ballots that were cast in 2020 and try to determine whether they came from real people or not. And I, again, I don't, I'm not an election denier. I don't think that there was enough fraud to throw the election off. But when you hear this, you see how easy it would be for somebody to systematically defraud the, the system. And, and shouldn't we, shouldn't we, at least now that you can see and everybody can see this problem, shouldn't we, I don't know, maybe make some changes to take the problem away? Michelle, Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Hello. Oh, hi. So, you know, this is another example of how we don't have the systems in place to um, take care of the problems before they become problems. So if I'm a military member and I need to get an absentee ballot, why on earth do I not have to put my military ID into that website in order to get that ballot? Seems like a simple fix. Just put in your ID. You know, you go to order COVID tests online and you try to order more than your your household mm-hmm. is, is supposed to get. And it says, sorry, you can't have those. We've already sent those to your address. Yeah. So this is a matter of fixing the stinking website to make it. You know, that legitimately I'm a military person that needs to get mine. Here's my military ID, which certainly we have, you know, a way to keep track of. And bada bing, bada boom, problem gone. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you even take it one step further, just not your number, but maybe you say, okay, you have to scan the ID and you have to send your picture ID in so we can verify that it's actually a real person. That would seem to me that it would be, given the technology that we have out here, that that would not be too much of, of a burden to imply on people so you at least know that it's a real person that's requesting that particular ballot. Now, that wouldn't stop. Well, right. now, yeah, it, that, that makes sense. Yeah, your photo, a copy of your military ID, your military ID number, boom, you, you get it. Then you can have the ballot sent wherever you want. Not but rocket science. It, it isn't. Exactly. Thank, right. No, thanks. It, it isn't. But, of course, you, you need to make a change in state law. And I understand why state law says what it does. We want to make it easy for people who are serving overseas, for example, to vote. You know, you're in the military. You're making all these sacrifices. We want to make it easy to vote. But, again, this is a small—it is a baby step that would make sure that you don't have this potential problem. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Um, yeah, when I heard this— what what uh you know that person from milwaukee did right. you know i was personally offended i served 24 years in the military and to mess around with the absentee military ballots in that way i, I am really offended normally i don't get too upset about some things but this one set me off mm-hmm. i mean and in and here you know you think well okay she sent those ballots to you know representative branch and right well you know was she sending them to her to see if, uh, you know, she would be unethical and right. enter those ballots? And then right. they would say later on, gee, let me see those three ballots. How did that, they, yep. did, did they vote? Yeah. yeah. And then you could say it's a gotcha moment. And then we can disqualify all military ballots or, or have to have everyone rechecked because we're worried that the right. race is going to be so close that the military members may vote for Michaels because maybe they feel more affiliated with him yeah. because he was in the military. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know what the motivation hope, was, but yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, yeah, but I mean, but, you know, I'm not a conspiracist, and I will, you know, it, back in 2016, I did not vote for Trump and I did not vote for Clinton. Uh, I was in the military, and I was offended by Trump when he called uh, John McCain a loser for being shot down doing his job because I'm a Vietnam-era vet. And 
Yeah, and I just couldn't vote for Clinton. And I mean, so I, I vote for who I think is the best candidate. I'm, you know, I'm not a, you know. No, I get it. A, a, a no, I Republican understand, Jeff. But that, I, no, thanks you know, for registered the, Republican. Yeah, no, thanks yeah. to call. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah, I, I appreciate the. I, I mean, I, I appreciate if you're in the military and you're sitting there thinking, wait, you know, there's people that can potentially game the system in this way. And I, I again, I, I the, the only way you would know, you know, whether this happened would be to, for example, you know, go back and pull all the military ballots and, um, you know, find out, you know, who it was that voted and determine, you know, and they, could you match them up? Are these all real people or, or not? And I, I look, I. I don't know if there was any fraud there, and I'm not suggesting it, but we see how easy this would be for people who wanted to, I don't know, generate a couple thousand votes one way or the other. If you had some of these organizations and you had people who were willing to to do this and engage in this, you could see how this would end up happening. All I'm saying is Republican or Democrat— can't we recognize that this is a potential problem that, as our first caller, Michelle, was saying, can easily be rectified? It could easily be rectified by simply saying, even if you're in the military, you have to provide some proof of who you are before we just send out ballots willy-nilly. Is that too much to ask? And I would argue it's not. couple textures on this. Um, Jeff, I'm not an election denier, but it's loopholes like this that make me question it, especially with such razor thin margins. Well, that that, that that's exactly it. I, I don't look. I've been I've been around Wisconsin. I've been in Wisconsin politics. I've been around Wisconsin politics for a long time now. I don't believe you can point to an election that was stolen. I just I don't believe that. I understand some people are sending me texts saying, well, you say that, but don't you understand there's these 5,000 military ballots that could have swung the difference in some race. I, I just I, I don't I just that's anecdotal. Is it something theoretically possible? Yeah, but I've seen no evidence of that. But again, this is a flaw in the system that clearly could be exploited by people who. I don't know, have that sort of malicious intent. So if we understand that it is a flaw and we understand that it's something that I think would be easily corrected, I've got a number of texters saying, hey, you know, our, I was in the military or, you know, we're veterans and there's all sorts of like websites and there's ways that, you know, you you prove that you were in the military with IDs and things like that. Again, it's it's 2022. We, you know, we, we put a man on the moon in 1969, and yes, for conspiracy theorists who think that didn't happen, I don't buy that either. You know, if we could put a man on the moon in 1969, you should be able to at least have some verification process to guarantee that if Holly Golightly decides they want to request a military ballot from the state of Wisconsin, that Holly Golightly is number one in the military and number two is a real person. And, and, and you start with the photo ID you get in the military or your military number or whatever, and then you go from there. Let us switch gears. I want to revisit an issue that we've talked about in in different contexts over the course of the the last several months. I maybe I'm just hopelessly old school, but I think parents should be involved in decisions that are made about their their children. 
When we talk about the huge crime problem around here, for example, what's the first thing that people say? Well, where are the parents? You know, why Why don't the parents know that the kids are out at 3 o'clock in the morning stealing cars and taking them on high-speed chases, leading cops on high-speed chases? Where Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Where are the parents? And I think that that's, that's a fair commentary. But if we're going to say we expect the parents to be more responsible. We want to hold the parents accountable. We want to hold parents. We want parents to, you know, be involved in in their kids' lives because at the end of the day, it's the parents that are the ones that are responsible for, you know, raising their kids. If that's the case, why don't we include them in major choices? Now, the story in the local newspaper: Germantown high school student creates petition objecting to district's new transgender policy, saying it's dangerous for students. A Germantown high school student says changes to the school district's policy on transgender students are, quote, inherently dangerous and is seeking to get the changes reversed. Right, The school board um, had, had really recently clarified what its position with regard to trans, transgender kids are going to be. Here's what the change says. The policy says that it requires permission from parents or guardians for the school to use transgender students' preferred names and pronouns. All right, so in other words, if a kid goes to school and says, I have decided that I'm, I'm no longer, I no longer identify as a boy, but rather I identify as a girl— I want you to refer to me as Ms., not Mr., or I want to change my name. I, I no longer want to be Steve. I, I want to be Sue. All right? So that, that's, that's it. The policy says, if the kid says that, well, the school, wait for it, needs to get permission from the parents before they do this. The revised policy also says the district will include parents or guardians in discussions with the student that relate to the student's transgender status. So in other words, they say, okay, kid comes in, kid wants to you know, identify as a boy instead of a girl, or vice versa, wants to change their name, wants to change their pronouns, fine, but before we do this, we are going to consult with the parents and include the parents in this. Now, the person objecting to this says it's going to force transgender children to come out to their parents which may put them in an unsafe situation. Well, okay, that, that's—but isn't that a matter between the, the students and, and the parents? And if you're the parent of a, I don't know, 13-year-old ch- child that has decided on their own that they want to identify as a boy instead of a girl or vice versa, don't you think the parents should have be at least told of that and have some input in this? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. And, and I want to be real clear here on, on my, my take on this. There's, I appreciate that there are children who, you know, are, they're the transgender kids. There's the boy who's born as a girl and vice versa. Okay, that, that's, that's not, as, the way I see it, that's not part of the discussion. What I think is the significant thing here is that is not a decision that a 13- or 14-year-old child should make without input from the parents. 
And I don't think the school should go along with that because at the end of the day, it's the parents' responsibility. And I think one of the things that was happening in Germantown and some of these other schools is that they, I think this is what they do in Madison, they've even has gone as far as to adopt policies which encourage the schools to lie to the parents. In other words, okay, you know, Sue, Steve wants to be Sue. We're going to call Steve Sue. We're going to change all the pronouns. But then when the parents come to the parents' night, we're going to go back and we're going to pretend that we don't do that. So we're going to deceive the parents. This isn't about, in my mind, whether you accept allowing people to you know, change their, their gender identity. It's about cutting out the parents. And my answer, I guess, would be, of course that the school district needs to consult the parents on this, you're dealing with minors. If we were talking about 18-year-olds in college or whatever, that's a different story. But we're not. We're talking about children who you can't get a tattoo, you can't get a piercing without your parents' approval, but yet you can go and you can say, well, I want to change my gender identity, but don't tell mom and dad. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. And for that small percentage of children who feel that, okay, well, this might cause problems at home, well, that's why you get the school counselors involved, because deceiving the parents, that's not going to make stuff any better at, at home. If this is really a situation where you've got a transgender child, don't you want the counselors to get in to help explain that to mom and dad? But regardless, you can't have a school you can't have a school, it seems to me, make these sort of decisions, do it behind the back of the parents. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. We discuss. We'll get to the calls in just a second. But, but during the break, I, I, have, I have a number of computer monitors in front of me. And during the breaks, I'm just like looking through a number of them. And I just I surface back to the Milwaukee Journal's website. And, and I... I There's these ads that are running, and it's exactly what I talked about in the last hour. The ad says, Tim Michaels is a rhino. Tim Michaels is pro-abortion. Tim Tim Michaels, pro-abortion. Tim Michaels is anti-gun. Vote for the true conservative. Joan Beglinger, she is the, the independent candidate who has dropped out and endorsed Michaels. And it's run by this slimy left-wing group called, uh, they call themselves Liberty Fund or something like that. She's not running. She's Her name will be on the ballot. But what they're trying to do is to get some conservatives who might see this and just siphon off their vote. She's already she's endorsed Tim Michaels, but it's like, oh, Tim Michaels is really this liberal that's out there. Vote for the true conservative. It's an effort to try to, again, help Tony Evers, who's not going to be able to get more than 47 or 48 percent of the vote, help him siphon off a vote, enough votes that would otherwise go to Michaels. It's just one of these. You see slimy stuff, but this is as slimy and sleazy as it gets. And don't mean to backtrack on this, but I was just seeing, I saw a different ad. Vote Joan Beglinger. Joan Beglinger says, don't vote for her. She says, vote for Tim Michaels. But of course, you're trying to find some low information voters that might just, if you can get a few, maybe that makes a difference. All right. We're talking about this policy in Germantown that they've just adopted that says for kids that um, you're, if you want to, if you're, if you're a boy and you want to be referred to as, as a girl or vice versa, it, it's got to be cleared by mom and dad and that, you know, these are cons- consultations. You know, if you're going to talk about kids about, you know, gender reassignment and stuff like that, what you have to do is you're going to get mom and dad into the discussion, which I think is just anything else I would think would be outrageous. 
One of our texters, Jeff, I think you're off base. It's not like the kids are signing up for gender reassignment surgery at 13. They are simply asking for people to use their preferred pronouns. Also, there's a significant number of kids who will probably get reprimanded by their parents if the school told them. Well, this would be my question. What the, so you think it's okay to deceive the parents and aid and abet in deceiving the parents. I would argue that it is a big deal. If you have a kid who's decided, hey, I, I want to I, I identify as a member of the opposite sex, I think that's at least something that you should bring the parents in on. And the idea that you're just going to deceive them and lie to them and hide this from them, well, that's not the role of the school. Our number, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, um, I'm a retired elementary school teacher, and the year before I retired, one of my students' parents insisted that their child be called by a female name, not his legal male name. The principal refused to do so until the name was legally changed in the courts. How can school personnel choose to do this legally without the parents' knowledge? Yeah, right, that's that, that's my case. Now, in this situation that the guy is describing, I, that, that's a different thing. The parents are the parents are there. The parents are, you know, working with the school. They say, look, we know what the kid wants to do, and we're we're cool with this. Well, that's that's different. That's, I guess, I, I don't, I'm not sure I quite understand, but I don't have a problem with that, because that's done in consultation with the parents, and that's reflective of the parents' wishes. You're not deceiving the parents. You're not doing stuff behind their back. Let's talk to Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Uh, uh, I think that uh, as far as the the sexual genders and everything, they're given too much in school, period. That should start in a household. Uh, I also believe, I mean, they cut out, uh, you can't pray in school. They cut out uh, uh, the national anthem they've cut out all this but they're going to bring all this sexuality they need to stick to reading writing and arithmetic uh the rest again like you said starts at home and, and that's where it should be kept and where it should be started well yeah i mean thanks to call i mean look and i i mean I, I don't i don't want to go too far afield on this but to me this is a this is a a really really simple straightforward issue if you found that a child was having behavioral problems, getting in fights and things like that, wouldn't you contact the parents and say, oh, we've got a real problem here. You know, Steve is picking on all the picking all these kids and their fights. If you found that Steve was in possession, I don't know why I'm picking the name Steve. I have a number of friends named Steve. Um, (laughs) If you if you found that Jeff was in possession of, gee, he had a bunch of heroin in his locker, and we, we think that he's been taking drugs or pills or whatever. W- wouldn't you notify the, the parents, in addition to law enforcement or whatever else you might do, if you became aware that there was some sort of problem that was going on, hey, we, we, Jeff is cutting classes, he hasn't been here, would you not tell the parents about that? How is this any different from that? You know, it, it's to me, I think it's a big deal. It's something that some kids are going to want to do. I appreciate that. This isn't a knock on kids who decide that they're, you know, have a different gender identity. But it's the idea that you're going to have a 13-year-old that is going to make that decision without any input from the parents. Jeff, how can we train kids to be truthful members of society if adults, you know, assist them in their deceit? Um, yeah, um, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, Jeff, my wife and I are retired teachers. The number one reason to ask the parent is so that you protect the transgender student versus all the jack wagons in class who might be doing it just for fun. Well, um, I, I think, you know, that's it. Jeff, the parents have to be aware of what's going on. You can't have the schools lie. Jeff, of course the parents should be included in this. If the issue is that a child feels unsafe coming out to their parents, who believes the parents wouldn't hear about this through the grapevine anyway if the school knows? And if the child is treated unsafely, then the school and the police can can get involved. Right? See, that's precisely my point. If you have one of these situations where the child at 13 has decided that I I want to make this decision, and I want to be referred to by different pronouns, and I I want to be Sue, not Steve. Okay, you you think mom and dad aren't going to find out about that? You know, maybe— Maybe the issue then is if they say, well, this is what I want to do, and I'm really concerned how my parents are going to react to it. Well, maybe that's a situation where the parents can actually, the school can actually help, you know, broker whatever is going to happen, as opposed to lying to the parents or effectively deceiving them. No, I'm sorry. This, some questions are hard, and some questions are really easy. And to me, this is one of those that's really, really easy. And Germantown High School and Arrowhead High School and all these other schools that have adopted these policies, it is only common sense. So very glad to have you with us. This is, it's a story from the world of sports, and normally I leave our sports conversations to my friends and teammates and colleagues down the way at the ESPN station, but this Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, of course, is a very, very talented, but extremely, I would argue, troubled basketball player. He plays for the Brooklyn Nets, great basketball, but he was in all sorts of hot water last year because he was... He was an anti-vaxxer, refused to get vaccinated, and as a result, he couldn't play in New York Nets home games because New York City required people to be vaccinated to be in those public settings. So first he wasn't playing, then they cut a deal where he could play on away games for a while, and you know ultimately it, it didn't work out very well for the New York Knicks. Well, okay, he's, he's back in the news because what he did about a week ago is he posted a link on Twitter. Once again, get in trouble on Twitter, to a movie and book that contains atrocious information about Jewish people. All right, so he, he, it's this, this incredibly anti-Semitic stuff. Well, he got, he got called on this, and then he turned around and dared the Brooklyn Nets to show him that he's not his own boss. And he, he was refusing to apologize for doing this, and so what New York has done is they've now— suspended him for five, at least five games without pay, arguing that he's currently unfit to be associated with the organization following his repeated refusals to apologize for this, so, apologize for this social media post about an anti-Semitic film and book. My question here is, what's the magic thing about five games? I, I mean, if, he's, if you've decided that this guy is such a head case and he's an anti-Semite and uh, addition to all the other you know problems that he's had, but and, and he's refusing to apologize for this. It's not like oh, this is a mistake. I mean, if you deem that he's you know unfit to be associated with the organization, my question is, why do you just suspend him for five games? You're either unfit to be associated with the team or you're not. 
Now, here's, of course, the answer. He's still a pretty darn good basketball player. And the New York Nets, which right now are the Brooklyn Nets, are like a hot—they're just they're a hot mess. They fired their coach. They've got all these different problems with chemistry and stuff like that. But they've obviously, just like when he refused to get vaccinated last year so he couldn't play in the home games, they thought, okay, well, he's still a good basketball player, so we're going to keep him. Now he's a virulent anti-Semite. He refuses to apologize for this until they say, okay, now we're going to suspend him. But if he's unfit to be with the team, isn't he unfit to be with the team? But I guess as long as you can you know, score 25 points a game and hand out 10 assists, maybe it really doesn't matter. I mean, what's the magic number about five games? All right, we're going to have some interesting topics coming up in the next hour of the program before we get to Pop Culture Corner, including daylight saving time. And by the way, what would you do if you won 1.5 B as in billion dollars? That's all coming up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, it's, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I just posted something that, that, again, talks about what we've been discussing off and on during the course of the program. There, there are these presumably liberal activists, one of these dark money groups, that is trying to peel off conservative voters from voting from Tim Michaels, which shows how desperate— People are to try to, you know, get Tony Evers elected. And in, in the world of dirty tricks, this this one takes the cake. And I've got a link to the story. Um, Wiz Politics is reporting that this group has spent 600, so far, $624,541 in trying to, between digital and mail, trying to convince people that Tim Michaels is a liberal. Tim Michaels is a rhino. Tim Michaels will take your guns. Tim Michaels is pro-abortion. Vote for Joan Beglinger, who is the independent candidate, who was the independent candidate, who, by the way, has dropped out and is supporting Tim Michaels. But th- these ads are trying to appeal to some low-information voters who might be leaning to vote conservative, but get her to get them to waste their votes on, on Joan Beglinger. And hopefully, maybe Michaels can, maybe, uh, you know, Evers will be able to, to sneak in. So um, I've got a link to this story. Um, and again, my comment is in a season filled with dirty tricks, this one takes the cake and I think shows how desperate some Democrats are. Liberal activists spending over $600,000 trying to get conservative voters to vote for Joan Beglinger because Tim Michaels is too, too liberal. And she, of course, supports Michaels. It's just it, it is amazing you know, people talk about like, you know, the, the, the Nixon campaigns and the dirty tricks and stuff that were done. This, I think they're going to write books about what Democrats have done this year, whether it was investing all sorts of money in Republican primaries to try to get the Republican nominee as who they thought was going to be the most likely to be defeated in November by the Democrats. And I think they're going to come to regret that position to stuff like this, trying to, you know, peel off a small percentage of votes by, again, creating vote for the candidate who's not running because Tim Michaels really isn't a conservative. To me, it just shows the flop sweat and the, um, that, that is out there. All right. You can see that in the link to the, the story. But I mean, I, I want to tell you, you want to talk about slimy ads and dirty tricks. This one takes the cake. All right. Let us switch gears. I said in the lead up to this that Saturday night, there is going to be a drawing. The drawing has $1.5 billion in the pot. 
And my producer corrected me and said, no, one of our guys says it's now up to $1.6 billion. Uh, I am talking, of course, about the Powerball drawing. Powerball tickets cost 2 bucks. The last Powerball winner, I believe, was, um, I think, in August. So um, that's when they had the last winner um, tomorrow night at, what, um, 9.59 p.m., they're going to have the drawing. Powerball tickets are are 2 bucks a piece. A Powerball player in Pennsylvania won $206.9 million in August. Um, but now the pot, so they haven't had a winner since early August. Like I say, they estimate that it's going to be $1.6 B as in billion dollars. If you decide to take the the cash payout, you're you're going to walk away with like a cool seven hundred and fifty million dollars or something like that. So um, certainly enough to, well, I mean, pay your taxes and still kind of take the edge off the rest of your life and the rest of your children's lives and the rest of your grandchildren's lives and the rest of your great grandchildren's lives. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, here's my question. Are you going to be buying a Powerball ticket? Why or why not? Do you think you've got a reasonable chance to win? Um, why, why do you wait till it gets to a certain point before you play? What's going on? Are you going to be buying a ticket between now and 10 o'clock, the drawing at 10 o'clock on Saturday night? Or is Powerball... You know, if you're going to buy five tickets, is that just like taking $10 and going into the parking lot of the convenience store or the gas station and lighting that $10 bill on fire? Will you be participating in Powerball frenzy? $1.6 billion and growing. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. In other words, it sounds like it is a complete mess out on the roadways. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. The Powerball jackpot for Saturday night, it is going to be north of $1.6 billion. If somebody takes it home, you will probably, that, well, I'm trying to look, the the world record Powerball jackpot, 2016, $1.586 So, this, I, I think, will end up being um, larger than that. All right, so let me give you some perspective on this before you plunk down your $2. Um, the odds of winning the Powerball jackpot are 1 in 292 million. 1 in 292 million. Now, to give you some perspective, do you know how many people there are that live in the United States— Right? How many people live in the United States? The entire country, and that includes Hawaii and that includes Alaska. Three as of 2021, so my numbers might be just a little bit off, but you'll, you'll get the idea. Okay, 331.9 million people live in the United States, all 50 states. The odds of winning the Powerball are 1 in 292 million. So if you round up a little, essentially— you would have to be the one person in the entire—if you gave a Powerball ticket to everybody in the United States, everybody, that would be your odds. You know, you would have to be the one—not the one person that lives in Wisconsin, not, not one person that lives in the Midwest, 
one person in the United States. Again, I'm rounding up a little bit, but you get the idea. That is how staggering the odds are on this. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. But having said that, I know a lot of people are going to play this. My question is, you know, will you and why? Let's talk to Denise in Kenosha. Hi, Denise. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank um, you. Yes, my, hus- <laughs> my husband and I, we do buy um, one ticket each um, just because it, if you don't buy it, you can't play. I mean, if you don't yeah. play, you can't win. Mm-hmm. But um, And the odds are astronomical, but for those two days up until the drawing, we enjoy the process because yeah. we will have conversations about what would happen if we did win. Mm-hmm. So, for, so, so that's part. No, yeah. I get it. No, see, I understand, Denise. And look, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. If I stop off at a convenience store or something, am I going to go out of my way to buy Powerball tickets? No. But if I stopped off at a convenience store or a gas station, I might, I might do it for exactly that same reason. I have no thinking. I'm not going to be that one in the 292 million uh, billion pe- million people. But it is. Right. It's exactly what you're talking about. For two bucks, or in your case, four bucks, you get to you get to dream for a day or two, and you get to have that conversation. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I think of all the things that people pee four dollars away on. So at least you you know get you get to live that fantasy for it for a day or two. That's right. Okay, so here's Thank the you, de- Jeff. no no Denise. Before you go, here's yeah. the deal. If you happen yeah. to win the Powerball, will you will you do you know old Jeff a favor here and maybe come up and buy me lunch or something like that? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> okay, if that would happen. You'd be the first person I would call. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for calling, Denise. And and if it if it can't be me that wins. You know, I'll 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 be rooting for you. Um, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. No, I think that's it. it you're, you're for for two bucks or four bucks. You're you're buying a dream. The thing that sometimes I, I when I hear people are well, you know, I, I bought a hundred of these tickets. I spent two hundred dollars or whatever. And, and look, your your odds really don't improve the more tickets you buy. It doesn't matter. Your your odds of any one ticket hitting are one in you know two hundred and ninety two million. So. That that's you might as well. If you decide you want to spend twenty dollars, that's fine. But at the same time, you know you might as well just save yourself some stress and get yourself a six pack of beer and just light that twenty dollar bill on fire. Um, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Joe in Fox Point. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi, Jeff. Hi, I was just thinking here. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't play the lottery or anything like that. But if I did play, I'd want to play something with better odds to it. I don't think the, most of the people have any concept of how much $1 billion is. Yeah. Uh, if you if you took the time, it would take exactly 100 years to count one by one to a billion. And uh, with the average person, if they made fifty grand a year and they worked for 40 years, that's $2 million. Yeah. Uh, so I could be very happy with wanting a much smaller amount with better odds if I did play anything at all. You know, Joe, it's always, it's funny you say that because I, I'm, one of the things I always find amusing when the, the jackpot gets this high is we'll always have people who call up and they'll say, well, now that it's over a billion dollars, I'll play it. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so like if you, if you won the lottery and it, and it paid 400 million, like that wouldn't be life changing. You know, it's kind of like, you know. exactly, <laughs> I, exactly. So I, you know, I, I don't think, I think, I think people have stars in their eyes when they hear big numbers, but they have no concept. 
Right. Uh, well, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, as long as look, I mean, as long as people do it for fun, and I appreciate what our first caller Denise was saying. And if I did it, it would be again, it would be this kind of funny thing because my wife and I would just kind of kid around and say, "Oh, well, we'll check this. Don't really expect that I'm going to win." But if you happen to win, what what would you do? You know, with with all this money. But but yeah, it, it's always I, I I don't play the lottery as a general rule. But if I it'd be just you know, because it, it's this big or whatever, if I was thinking of it, since it's now first of mind, if I go past a gas station, I might walk in and buy $10 worth of the tickets or something like that, just so you, you know, have something. We're going out to dinner with some friends after I do, um, I'm emceeing this Operation Honor I was talking about in Waukesha on Saturday at 4.30. Then we're going out with some friends for dinner. And it might be just a fun conversation to have. So you, you get 10 minutes of interesting conversation or five minutes about it. That's worth the 10 bucks or, or whatever for having the tickets. But still, it's like, I, it's always amusing me. Oh, it's only 500000000 million. I'm not going to participate. Huh. Must be nice. Charlie in Germantown. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, you're a, you're a, you like to go to Las Vegas and occasionally make a wager. The I do? only way to look at a Powerball ticket is your odds are two to one. You'll either win or you'll lose. If you look at those astronomical <laughs> odds, you would be really stupid to buy a Powerball <laughs> ticket. But you either win or you lose. So you got two to one odds. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Did yes, you... I bought one, and uh, that's my story. Okay, so you but you just bought one. You, you just bought you just bought one. I bought one. Yes. Okay. Well, good. And you... I occasionally, occasionally, I'm not a regular player. Yeah. Well, if 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 you hit, it's it's one point six billion. Thanks for the call, Charlie, and, and best of luck. I mean, I I. I I would never talk people out of doing that. Again, as long as you keep it in in perspective and view it as kind of some fun. But like again, the, the best way I can say one point your odds of winning are one in two hundred and ninety two million and there are three hundred and thirty one million people that live in the United States as of the twenty twenty as of twenty twenty one. So essentially you are if everybody in the United States bought a ticket, you're competing with all of them <laughs> for all intents and purposes. But if you do, good luck. If it can't be me that wins I'd love it to be you. Back with more in just a minute. Okay. Now, now you want me to be a little bit more upbeat. If, if, you're, daunt, if you're intimidated by the number of uh, the odds, okay, to win the Powerball, to win the $1.6 billion, the odds are 1 in 292 million, which, I mean, to give you perspective, as I was saying, there's 331 million people that live in the United States. <laughs> so that, that tells you you're the one in the United States. Now, one of our texters makes this point. Now, Jeff, here, here's the deal. If you get five numbers correct out of the five numbers, so you don't get the Powerball, but you just get the other five numbers, well, you, you win a million bucks. And if you win a million, that would still be life-changing money. Well, certainly not as much as a billion, but yeah, uh, but yeah absolutely. You know, you get a million so you pay the taxes on that million, probably, you know, you're walking away with 600000 Well, yeah, you're not going to buy a Learjet, but yeah, you're going to, that's, that's, that's going to be great. The odds of, okay, so let, let's say you're just shooting for that. I know, I know it's pie in the sky. I know I'm not going to get the uh, one in 292 million, those odds. But what about the five? What are those odds? Well, they're one in 11,238,513. So... Yeah, I mean, it's your your chances of walking away with a million are are much better than your chances of walking away with one and a half billion. But still, it's one in eleven million two hundred thirty eight thousand five hundred thirteen. But again, if if you're playing, I wish you the very very best of luck. It's that time of the week. 
The Jeff Wagner Pop Culture Corner is coming up. It is presented by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Stick around. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Mickey Dolan, still touring. He is the, well, there's no other living monkeys. The rest of them are, are all gone. Mickey Dolan's, he turned 78 in, in March. Turned 78 in March, but he's still out there touring. That's great. I remember the monkeys when they first came out. All right. Like the big voice guy says, this is one of our favorite times of the week. It is Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. October, just got out of October, is National Pizza Month. What better way to celebrate with Palermo's? They have delicious frozen pizzas. They are my favorites, made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And if you're new to Pop Culture Corner, we do this in the segment of this program every Friday that I'm doing the show. It's our way of kind of putting aside the heavy lifting, and we're not going to talk about politics, and we're not going to talk about the economy and things like that. We're just going to have a little bit of fun. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes books, sometimes music, sometimes sports, sometimes travel. It just kind of depends on what tickles my fancy in a given week that I hope that you will find interesting. Our sponsor, Palermo's Pizza, also allows us to give away a Palermo's Pizza prize package. One of our callers, not the texter, it's got to be a caller, in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, wins our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which is, try saying that four times fast, which is coupons good for two Palermo's Pizzas, a Palermo's Pizza pizza cutter that is really, really cool. I'm trying to figure out how I can score one of my, my, myself and all sorts of other stuff that we have in the prize package. So it, it's just always a lot of fun. Again, that's one caller in the exclusive discretion of my producer. So what are we going to talk about for Pop Culture Corner today? Actually... Pop Culture Corner's topic for this week comes from a suggestion from a listener. And I I just—they sent it in early on, and I thought, you know, that's that's sort of interesting. And it comes from the world of movies. A lot of times we'll talk about the best movie, the worst movie, the scariest movie, the funniest movie, you know, best sports movie, you name it. But the, the listener actually had a great suggestion. They said, look, here's the deal. Why don't you ask, instead of talking about just the, the movies themselves or the actors in the movies— why don't you ask what people think is the best movie line ever? You know, the best movie line, like for, for years and years, the, the, it was the most famous one was at the end of Gone with the Wind in, what, 1939? You know, Clark, Clark Gable, who plays the Rhett Butler character, says, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. That was like the big, that was the big movie line. But I got to thinking about all the great movie lines, the ones where, you know, you hear them, and you just inherently know what movie that's from. So I thought that might be a little bit fun. So that is our topic for this Friday. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. In your opinion, the best movie line ever. And if you are going to call to participate, I encourage you to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up pretty quickly. The best movie line ever, the one that you think is the most memorable, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. This is Pop Culture Corner presented by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Great weekend to have yourself one. The topic today is the greatest movie line ever, the most memorable movie line. You know what I'm talking about. You end up saying it, and everybody goes, yeah, I know the film where that came from. All right, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave and Racine. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff, uh, from the movie Airplane, uh, between Robert Hayes and Leslie Nielsen. Shirley, you can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> don't call me Shirley. Now, thanks to call. There's a lot of um, lot of uh, lot of airplane lines that that you could think of that that they would do. Do you like gladiator movies? All sorts of things like that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in Pleasant Prairie. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, best gotta movie be, line ever. I'll, it's gotta be. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> the, term, the original Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Who's who? Who was able to? Who was able to build a political career on, on that one line as well? Yeah. I, no, that's a great one. Thanks. See, these are these are this is a fun walk down memory lane. I love it. Um, let's talk to. Let's see. We've got uh, Ron in Menominee Falls. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm good. My fa- one of my favorites is uh, the line from Eastwood in the Dirty Harry movies when he's holding the forty four Magnum up to somebody's head and he says, "Go ahead, make my day." <laughs> yeah, that's from that's, that's from like sudden impact. That's a yeah, no, it 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 is. It's um, and thanks for calling. I mean, you know, of course. Ronald Reagan ended up, I, th- I think, using that line at some point in time. But right, that's from Sudden Impact, which is I, I should know this on the top of my head. I want to say it's the third Dirty Harry movie, but um, you know, great, just an maybe it was the second one. Absolutely great catchphrase. You know, go ahead, make my day. I, I, you know, the original, and there was always great lines in that. The original Dirty Harry movie, which continues to be one of my favorites. There's that scene in the beginning and at the end where he's got the gun and he's pointed at the bad guy, and and I know what you're thinking. You know, did he fire six shots or only five? Well, this is a forty-four caliber handgun, the most powerful handgun in the world. It can blow your cl- head clean off. So you got to ask yourself a question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you feel lucky? I just love those lines. Um, let's talk to—let's see. We've got uh, Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, yeah, from one of my favorite—from one of my favorite— um, Westerns of all time, uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. Another Clint Eastwood. When, uh, the bounty hunter, the bounty hunter walks into the bar to uh, to come uh, to, to kill Clint Eastwood. Basically, he uh, mm-hmm. he turns around and walks out, and then comes back and says, uh, uh, "Guy's got to make a living." And Clint says back to him, uh, "Dying ain't much of a living." <laughs> yeah, that I you know I think I think you can make a strong argument, Jim, that the outlaw Josie Wales is the best is the the best western ever. I believe so. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm with you on that one. Thanks for the call. I. I. I lo- and I. I love that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to. Um, let me see. We've got all these different ones. Let's go, Chris in Elm Grove. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Chris. Did I hit the right button? Chris in Elm Grove. Why can't I get Chris up here? Chris in Elm Grove. Okay, let's try, um, let's try, uh, let's see, Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hey, my pick would be, I'm your Huckleberry, 
Tucson. Right, right. From the right, that's the that's the great um, that's the great line from uh, that that's the that's the great line from. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who it who it's not Kevin Costner. Val it's Kilmer. right, exactly. It's Val Kilmer, exactly. No, another just an yeah. absolutely great line, no question about it. Okay, now we've got Chris in Elm Grove. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Listen, this isn't necessarily a true thing that happens, but my all-time favorite is there's no crying in baseball, which is ridiculous because I cry all the time. (laughs) I cry when somebody makes a great catch. I cry when we win. I cry when we lose. It's just really, it's a great line because there is crying in baseball, Tom Hanks. It's just you didn't say it. I, you know... I just, I love A League of Our Own. I think that's just one oh, of the, the, the great movies that is out there. Chris, in the discretion of my producer, Charlie, you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package for today. Oh, my gosh, I hope I don't cry. Oh. There's no crying <laughs> over pizza. Right, there's... No, thank you so much. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for listening. That, that's, a, that's a great movie, an absolutely great movie. Dwayne, Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You can't handle the truth, um, Jack Nicholson. A few good men. You want the truth. You can't man. handle the truth. You can't handle it. Yeah, no. I that's that. See, these, this this actually was really fun. I, I love these. And let me. I, I've I've given short shrift to all the texts that are coming in. Jeff Apollo thirteen Houston. We have a problem. Um, here's one that I first thought of because whenever I think about these topics, I think what would be my answer um, from Jaws, the Roy Scheider line. You're gonna need a bigger boat, <laughs> you know. After he's seen that, I um absolutely love it. Uh, Jeff from the movie Major League, Bob Uecker, just a little bit outside. Um, Ocasablanca, John in Burlington says we will always have Paris. Um, yeah, that's a great line as well. Um, remain calm, all is well. Some of our textures aren't even putting the movies. They're challenging me. That's Animal House at the end. Kevin Bacon, um, that's Animal House. One of the ones that, oh, well, right. This would have been on my list, too, of top five. From the movie Cool Hand Luke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Um, that's what Scatman Crothers. That was, a, that was just an absolutely great one. Here's one that I'm surprised that I haven't seen yet, and I, I think it, it, it's arguably one of the at least greatest movie lines of all time from when Harry met Sally— and Meg Ryan is showing Billy Crystal how women can fake a certain thing, and she's doing that. And at the end of the thing, the, there's one of the other diners, and the waitress says, what do you want? She says, I'll have what she's having. Just an absolutely priceless line. Karen, Karen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great topic <laughs> on a rainy day. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, because like, y- you picture the movie immediately, is Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Dean Wormer is explaining to the guys, you know, going through their grades and stuff. You know, M- Mr. D-Day has no grade point average. And yeah, that, right. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I, Animal House is one of those movies, and I'm not proud of this, Karen, but I can do every line. I mean, I've just seen it so many times that you sit there and I find myself doing the line and people that I'm with get very annoyed by that. And I just, I can't help myself because... It's just, it's such a part of my life. 
But, yep, been yeah. there. <laughs> but you're right. No, thanks. Thanks for call. Although my 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 producer, it's one of these signs of age who just looks at me and says, I, "I've heard about this Animal House movie. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever seen this." Uh, let's talk to let's see Anthony in Dallas. Anthony, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Good. Okay, what's the best best movie line ever? I'm going to make an offer he cannot refuse. Yeah. Yeah, from the Godfather. From the Godfather. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That, but you know, that's a great one. No, thanks, Nicole. That's that's a great one. That's another one where you immediately hear it, just like he's going to need a bigger boat, or just like so many of the other ones. You immediately hear it, and you go, "Yeah, I know what that movie is, and I know where it comes from." Okay, yeah. A number of people are also, and, and we've started to use this as one of the catchphrases on the show from from the movie Stripes. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> yeah, a couple people, right? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Um, hey, you know, it, where there's a scene where Robert Redford, the Robert Redford character, the Sundance character says, I, I, I can't jump off this cliff. I, I can't swim. And the, and the Paul Newman character says, hey, you know, the fall is going to probably kill you, stupid. And then they jump off. Yes, don't worry about whether you can swim or not. The fall will kill you. Go ahead, make my day. A number of people are, you know, suggesting that. Yeah, you can't do a topic like this without also discussing James Bond, um, Bond, James Bond, or Shaken Not Stirred. The um, a long time ago, I was on a listener trip. We went to the south of France, and we ended up at the casino in Monaco. I walk into, and that's you know where the the James Bond stuff was set. I walk in there, and I just I, I ordered. I don't I don't drink vodka martinis, but I ordered a vodka martini shaken, not stirred, just so I could say that I did it. From Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Dance Kids, um, who are those guys? Yeah, that was another one that's um, there, right? It's I just you know a lot of great things that are out there. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. From the movie Vacation. Sorry, folks. The park is closed. The moose out front should have told you. Yeah, you know that. We're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, that's one. You can't go wrong with that. Okay, so here's the bottom line of this. Great movie lines. This is a conversation. If you're out at the fish fry tonight or whatever, and you're, you know, there's a little like clothes and you're tired of talking about the election, go around the table, say, what's the greatest movie line of all time? And my guess is you'll hear some of the ones we've discussed in the last 15 minutes, but you'll also hear a lot more. That's the great thing about pop culture.